We've been doing quite an in-depth study in the book of Romans. It's just got to be one of the favorite, one of my favorite books. I I know Pastor Dan's and many of you. It it just takes it all. It it takes Old Testament and New Testament, and it just brings them together and explains what's going on, why it's going on, and the need for God's grace and for God's mercy. You know, in Timothy, it says... uh, if you break one of the laws, you've broken, in James, excuse me, in James it says if you break one of the laws, you've broken all of the laws. And who has not broken one of the laws? And uh, please don't raise your hand because we've all broken at least one of the laws. In that case, we're all guilty. So scripture says there's not one that are righteous, not one. It has to be by God's grace and God's mercy alone. But we're in a battle. We're in a war, spiritually. Satan would like nothing better than to take as many people with him as he possibly can. He would like nothing better than to shake the faith of the Christians, to cause them to begin to doubt God's word, to begin to doubt God's promises, to begin to doubt the authenticity of the word of God. There are a lot of cemeteries, excuse me, seminaries out there that feel like they're smart enough to change the word of God, to decide which books are good and which books are not. Now, here's the thing. When you and I begin to alter the word of God, where does it stop? When we begin to find something we don't like, where does that stop? If we're reading along and all of a sudden we go to a chapter or a book that says, hey, you need to, you know, straighten up, fly right. We go, I don't like that. I don't want that. It kind of infringes on my freedom. So um, I don't like that book. That book must not be of God. So you, you write it off. Or you go to seminary and you have a professor who tells you, this is what amazed me, amazes me, that a, pref- a professor can be smarter than the word of God. That, that just always blown me away and in a lot of cases instead of increasing the faith instead of building on the faith because you guys if this is not true we're all in trouble it's the word of God it is true and I think sometimes they forget back in Revelation where it says don't add don't subtract from the word of God but I want to give you a couple of brief things you guys are familiar with the uh, uh, Gallup polls right well, Gallup in May of two, uh, this May of 22, right? They said that the values and beliefs polls find 17% of Americans saying they do not believe in God. Now you may think, well, that's just a, a small amount, small amount, excuse me. But in 2011, 92% of Americans said that they believed in God. Something's changing, guys. This hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This hasn't changed. You know what's changing? Our society. And as our society engulfs so many of us, then people begin to change. And people begin to try to fit their society into the word of God. And you cannot do it. It doesn't work. We think, well, it's mean to say this certain individual may not go to heaven because of their practices. It would be a lot meaner to not tell the truth and give somebody an opportunity to change those practices. And when you and I begin to throw out portions of the Bible because they're tough, we get into a lot of trouble. And there is coming a time when Scripture says, will he even find faith alive when he comes back? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that statement? That's heartbreaking to think that and to see that. Now, also, the biggest section of people from whence these statistics come are younger, liberal Americans. They are the least likely to believe in God. Now, I said liberal. Don't put that in one category or another. You can be liberal no matter where you're at in this. So, 
Let me give you a little summation. Fewer Americans today than five years ago believe in God. And the percentage is down even more from the 50s and the 60s, when almost all Americans believed in God. Still, the vast majority of Americans believe in God, whether that means they believe in a higher power or hear, that hears prayers that can intervene or not, they claim Christianity. And while belief in God has declined in recent years, Gallup has determined or documented steeper slope drops in, here they are, church attendance, church membership, and confidence in organized religion. You know, I hate that phrase. I don't like organized religion. Well, would you like disorganized religion? <laughs> would you like a disorganized house or an organized house? All the men are going, disorganized. <laughs> Anytime you get two people together, there has to be some kind of organization, doesn't there? Much less two or three hundred or a thousand or 5,000, or 6,000. I, I just don't like that determination because it has a negative connotation that being and having some kind of an organization is bad. Now, there's a, a saying that if you, if you don't want to believe something, any excuse will do. Or if you don't want to do something, any excuse will do. And I think basically that phrase is just basically, I don't want to believe in God. I don't want to believe in God. Because if I be believe in God, he might change my life. If I believe in God, he might want to have some sort of say-so in my life. And I like my life the way it is. I like to do what I want to do. And I like to do it without feeling guilty. We're going to talk this morning. You'll see the title, Dead Men Don't Sin. And that'll make a lot more sense once we get going. So please pray with me for the study. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for your word. It's one of the few things in this life we can count on. And Father, at times through our history, when things look bleak, people have hung on to your word. We may not always get what we want, but we always get what we need. So Father, I just pray that this morning as we go in and we take a look at what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to folks, that we would understand his heart, that we would understand that he's trying to bring these two groups of people, the Jewish people who have lived their entire life under the law, generations under that law, jumping through hoops with the inability to be able to do it, with those New Testament Christians, the Gentiles, who have come to you by grace. One saying, if you, if you give them too much grace, they're just going to mess everything up. And the other one saying, if it's not for grace, I can't make it at all. So he's trying to bring this together, to bring these groups together. And it's been a dream of his for some time to be able to come to Rome and to be able to preach your word. So, Father, as he writes these words, may we take note of what he is saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've already seen, just a little bit of a recap, we have already seen the benefits of grace over the law. If you, if you haven't gotten the other teachings, they're all online, so they're there. The biggest benefit is, if you live by the law, you die by the law, or you're judged by the law, right? If you live by grace, you Obey the law because you love Jesus, not because you have to. It's not a hoop for you. It's just an automatic outflowing of the relationship that you have with God. He's also shown us the application of grace by using Adam as an example of how sin and its consequences entered into the world. But he also turned that around and he also said through one man, Jesus Christ, sin has been conquered that sin can no longer have effect on Christians because of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. So cancels that out. He offers you a brand new life for an old life. No matter what you've done, he offers you a brand new one. And his finally, final application in chapter 3, excuse me, 5, was that the law of Moses was given to prove that man can't be righteous on his own. 
Pastor, what do you mean? Why would, why would God do that? Because we love to think we're smart. We love to think we don't need God. We love to think that we can figure this all out on our own. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you in a 50-mile-an-hour zone have ever gone 60? Don't show me. I don't want to know. You see, you're guilty of the law. Because that law said 50. If it, not, if it didn't say 50, you'd be tooling along with everybody else. But because it said 50, that law made it against the law if you go over 55 miles an hour. So that's pretty much the Old Testament's purpose, is to show us that we could not do it on our own. In Israel, you know, they did this circle all the time. They would fall away from the Lord and they'd come back, and they'd fall away and they'd come back, and they'd fall away and they'd come back. And in between, they usually end up in some kind of slavery, because that's what happens when we lose sight of God, we move away from the things of God, and we no longer trust him. Now, Paul's anticipating, you got to remember, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He's a sharp man, he's a brilliant man. He knows what they're going to say, he knows what they're going to think whenever he says something, so he kind of anticipates what their next question or the next objection might be. And in Romans 5.20 it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded more or more abundantly, some of your translations say. So, yes, sin entered the camp, but God trumped it. And that trump was him on the cross. Okay, so let's look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Well, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if, if the law proves you can't do it and grace is put on a pedestal because it's better than the law, shouldn't we just sin more so that grace will apply more? Now, that's tricky logic. That, I think that's the same kind of logic. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this. But I think it's the same logic our government officials are using right now. It doesn't make any sense, right? It's, it's tricky logic. So... What does he say in verse 2? Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Okay? Now that certainly not means in the NIV it says by no means. In the New American Standard Bible it says may it never be. And in the King James Version it says God forbid. So shall we continue to sin that grace might be abound? By no means, may it never be, God forbid that we would do that. Do people take advantage of God's grace? Yeah, we all have at one time or another. Something that we know we're not supposed to do, it could be a small one, it doesn't have to be a big one, it could be one, you know you're not supposed to do it, but you figure you'll do it because God will cover you when you say, God, I'm sorry. W.H. Griffith Thomas wrote this. He says, an evil heart turns grace into license. An evil heart turns great grace into license here. But let's go back up to what he said. His logic here is, how can a dead man sin? We're going to spend much of chapter 6. He's going to be explaining exactly what that means, to be dead to sin. Let's move on to verses 3 and 4. He says, or did you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I use that a lot in baptisms when we have water baptisms because it's symbolic God gets the heart of an individual they decide they don't want to live that way anymore and they ask Jesus, to Christ, Jesus Christ to come into their heart and then they want to be baptized and it's symbolic in the sense that this, this man is still got the flesh right? that's who he was before Jesus Christ a man living in the flesh they go down into the water the purpose is that that old man stays in the water and they're raised to a newness of life 
in Jesus Christ. That's the symbolism exactly of what Paul is talking about right here. That's the whole reason that we do baptisms. That's why we try to educate before we do a baptism so that people really understand what they're doing. It's not just a church ritual. It shouldn't be just a church ritual. It shouldn't just be something, well, you know, I didn't get baptized or my mom wants me to be baptized or my dad. It needs to be that true conversion in a man's or a woman's heart where they say, you know, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be that kind of an individual. Regardless of how I was raised, regardless of what the genes say, I, I don't want to be that man anymore. We all have things that we have to overcome. If we plan on continuing in our old life, it'd be better off just staying under the water. Right? If we're not going to change, and we know that we're not going to change, baptism has really, it has no meaning. Now, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the person who truly, with all of his heart, wants to change and gets baptized. That's different than the person who's being baptized for some other reason, but knows they're not going to do it. It's a difference in that. There's grace in one, the other one's just flat-out rebellion. Right? So, we're publicly testifying that that sin nature is dead, and that like Jesus Christ, we are going to be raised to a newness of life. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Sin will always be looming at the door. It always will be. But we make a decision, we're not going to give in to it anymore. And that's not easy. That's not easy at all. Because we spend 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years picking up habits that are difficult to get rid of. But God can change that. There's many people sitting in here this morning that would tell you, how many of you would raise your hand and say, God changed you in that way? Say, look, if you're struggling with something, talk to one of these people. And you think all church people are holy. Well, we're not. We're just saved by God's grace and God's mercy. Because scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. Five, and, five through seven, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from Sin. Thus the title. A dead man can't sin. In the 1960s film Spartacus, Kirk Douglas played the escaped slave Spartacus. And he led a brief but widespread rebellion there in Rome. But at one point in the movie, Spartacus says, and I quote, Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he is not afraid of it. We are set free from sin because the old man has died with Jesus on the cross. Now a new man, a free man lives. Now you look at that and you go, and I've tried this so many times and I, and I still fall. That's because you've tried it. You can't do this without Jesus. I'm convinced that a Christian cannot walk the Christian walk without the Spirit of God. You, you can't do it without Jesus. It's impossible to be able to do it. But God has the ability and the strength because of what we see in the power of the resurrection to make a new person out of us. And thank God that he does. I want to read something to you out of Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It reads like this. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Now, here's the thing. If you and I are living under the guilt, if we're living under the law, then all we see are a bunch of hoops 
Any of you ever run hurdles in high school? I was too stubby and short to, to run hurdles. I would have knocked them all over. If we see Christianity as nothing but hurdles, we'll never make it. And that's what the law is. But if we see Jesus Christ, if we see him as the answer, and he's already cleared those hurdles, he's already been victorious, he's already run the race for us, that's a completely different story. Because now it is not me trying to do everything, it is allowing God to do those things in my life that I've never been able to accomplish before. He says in there in Galatians 2, it says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith. Faith. Guys, faith is a wonderful thing, and when you lose it, it's a horrible thing. If you lose faith in a partner because they've cheated, that's a horrible thing to get back. It's hard to get faith back. If you've trusted somebody and they break that trust, that is hard to regain. Jesus has never done anything to cause us to lose faith in him. Never. Not one thing. We make a lot of excuses, but he's never done anything to deserve it. Paul is saying, you know, I, I, I died with Christ. I, I confess this. I've become born again in the life that I now live in this flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. What does that mean? I have faith that he forgives me. I have faith that he loves me. I have faith that his word is true. I have faith that he's still on the, on the throne. No matter what the world looks like, no matter what everything else looks like, I have faith in Jesus. Because he's already won, and in the end, he wins completely. That battle has already been fought. That battle has already been won. In Galatians 2, verse 21, it says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you could do it through the law... What would the need for a Savior be? If you and I could jump through all the hoops, why would we need a Savior? Jesus would have come. He would have done what he did in vain because there was no sense. We could just be legalistic. We could just jump through the hoops. We could just do everything. And some of you have been raised in churches where it was very, very legalistic. And instead of going to God when you messed up, you had to go to somebody else, confess it to them. You didn't know if they were even going to go tell God about it. Like God didn't already know. But there are folks who have been raised that way in churches like that way and they feel guilty about everything. About everything. There's no peace in their, in their hearts. They lay down at night and they're so worried about everything. And there's so many people who said, who if you ask them, if you died tonight, would you, are you sure you'll go to heaven? They, they will tell you, I don't know. I'm not sure. What a way to live. To not know that. To not have that confirmation from God that says it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about what you've done. It's about what I've done. And you know what blows me away is he knew we were imperfect when he went to the cross for us. He knew he was not getting a bargain. It wasn't like you got some human beings that go, oh, look at this. I'm getting a good one on this one. Not if all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There was none. None righteous. No, not one. So he wasn't getting a good deal when he did it. He knew all about us, all of our history, all of our past, and he went to the cross for us anyway. And when we said, God, I want you in my life, he goes, man, I've been waiting for that. I've been following you all the days of your life. The cross was not in vain. The cross was to set us free. Grace is not in vain. It's not to be taken advantage of, but 
it's to get us through those hoops because we couldn't do it ourselves. Look at verses 8 through 11. Now, if we died in Christ, now you guys understand what we're talking about here, right? Not physical death. You know, you didn't just, oh, accept Jesus Christ. Although that probably wouldn't be a bad idea. It's talking about a spiritual death. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm trusting him with my spirit. I'm trusting him with my spiritual future. And I'm inviting his Holy Spirit to come into my life, to be the Lord of my life, to be the guide of my life, to be the counselor in my life, to be the physician in my life. I'm trusting him with absolutely everything. Verse 8. Now if we died in Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Not his sin, mine and yours. Once and for all. Now guys, this is always uh, gets me to a place where I, if I don't choke up, I get real close to it. Do you have anyone, even people that you love and that love you, anyone that would be willing to die for you? As was said in the father announcement this morning, some fathers won't even stay home and take care of their kids. Much less die for them. To have somebody that cares that much about you, We are so blessed. Such an honor to have a perfect father because none of us can be. But to have a, a perfect father that loves us so much that he didn't just say it and move away somewhere. He said it and he stayed around to take care of us. That's what Jesus did for us. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon, consider, conclude yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to say no. We have to learn. You know the old Nike thing, just do it. Just don't do it. We all stand at that crossroads, don't we? When sin's knocking at the door, we can say yes or we can say no. We know that the power is in Christ to help us say no, to get us through it, to say no. But sometimes we just don't care. Paul is saying that we as Christians need to do what we can to live our life honoring the Lord. That's all. Just that, that simple. The reality of it is we haven't all died to sin, have we? It still rears its ugly head. But you've got to understand the break in that chain is not God. It's us. And even, even in spite of that, he still loves us. <laughs> all right, it's going to kind of... Tell us what's expected of us. So in verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your flesh, your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lusts. When you want a banana split, ain't nobody going to talk you out of it. And if it's not a banana split, it's always something else. And, and again, we're just being told to say no once in a while. In fact, say no a lot. When that thing is trying to cause us to step into a place where the blessing of God will not go. To just say, no, I've been here before. 
It's never profitable and it costs too much. So Jesus has been given the power over sin, but he's certainly not dead. Still on our shoulder a lot. I want to read something to you here. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom that was, it is now Belgium. The elder brother's name was Reynald, and he was commonly called Crassus, a Latin nickname which meant fat, for he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Reynald's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of duke over his lands. But instead of killing Reynald, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassus, a room with only one door. And that door was not locked. The windows were not barred. And Edward promised Reynald that he could regain his land and his title any time that he wanted to. All he would have to do is leave the room of his imprisonment. The obstacle to freedom was not in the doors or the windows, but with Reynald himself. Being grossly obese, he could not fit through the door, even though it was pretty much a normal size of a door. All that Reynald needed to do was diet down to a smaller size, then walk out a free man with all that he had before his fall. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods. And Renal's desire to be free never won out over his desire to eat. Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he wills. But Renal stayed in that room for 10 years until Edward himself was killed in battle. Does that sound like the monkey on our back? <laughs> We know we have the freedom in Jesus. We know that God will bless our life. We know that we can live in that close proximity to Jesus. We know that we can have a healthy relationship in the Lord, but we just can't fit through the door. We'll never fit through that door. We'll never fit through that door because that door is the law. The door is the law. The, the, the walls around him, that was the enemy, no matter even if his brother said it was for his own good. The enemy will try to build walls around us. He'll try to put us in that kind of a circumstance. But God can get us through the door. In fact, there probably is not even a door for Jesus. We just live in this world of thinking that satisfying our flesh is easier than following the Lord. And it's, sometimes it is. Sometimes satisfying our flesh is all we have in mind, but like Renault, we get stuck. We get trapped in that. Okay, so pretty accurate picture of the lives of many, many people. And, and unfortunately for some of us Christians, we find ourselves in the same situation. Jesus has set us free. We're free. You're free. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are free. You're free to do anything you want. Should you? And therein lies the problem. With, uh, with uh, Reynald, all he had to do was slim down a little bit. But he couldn't. He didn't. Because he had been that way for so long, that was a battle he seemed not willing to fight. Sin can either reign over us like an evil master, 
or we can, based on Romans 12, 12, and I quote, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship. I like act of worship because it means that we have the relationship with God that's necessary to overcome. It is our act of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Conformity. That's what a lot of people are trying to do. We're trying to conform to the new woke world. And it won't work. It won't work. We're trying to make everybody happy. And you can't make everyone happy. We're trying to make everybody feel comfortable, even if the Word of God tries to make them uncomfortable. And you can't do it. It doesn't work. How many of you know that if you weren't uncomfortable at sometimes in your life, you would never change? When you were being raised up and your parents put you in your room for punishment for not doing this or not doing that, or maybe back when you had to, you know, you got spanked, or they took the car away, or whatever it was. You didn't like it, it hurt. But it probably made you into a better individual and taught you that there were a certain amount of boundaries. Nobody wants boundaries today. It's my life, you can't tell me what to do. It's funny, you know. It's my body, it's my life. Except when the shots come along and then it was no longer your body to do with what you wanted to. Sin can reign like an evil master or we can present ourselves to God and do not be conformed to this world but transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, we spend a lot of time in the world learning how the world thinks. Unfortunately, as I've shared with you guys before, if I started humming the theme to the Beverly Hillbillies, you guys would know the, the melody to it, and you'd probably be singing it during lunchtime because that's what it sticks. We spend a lot of years, and we don't realize it's, a lot of it's programmed. It's, it's still there. We have to go through a renewing of our mind. Well, how do you go through a, newing, a renewing of the mind? Now, here's what people want to do. They want to go to a seance or something, and they'll do something to it. Or they want to go and get hypnotized and automatically quit that habit or do this thing or do that thing. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a hypnotist. I'm not trying to speak to that specifically, but I will say this. We don't want to do and put in the time that's necessary to learn how to renew our mind. How do we renew our mind according to the will of God? That's the only thing I know of. Same yesterday, today, and forever. A truth that will never be untrue. That's where we get it from. Now you might say, well, I don't like to study. I'm with you. I don't like to read. There's audio tapes. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's CDs. There's stuff on the internet. There's just all kinds of ways now to be able to get the word of God. You can even get it just read to you by a professional. So it's out there, but that's how we become renewed. And we will find that when sin's on the shoulder and we give in, it's probably been a while since we've really spent some time with the Lord. Just our nature. I'm not condemning, I'm just saying it's just our nature. And the further we get away from the Lord, the louder that voice gets. So again, we have to be very careful of that. Okay, so 13 to 14, do not present your members, your body, your inst as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Thank God. <laughs> we wouldn't stand a chance without that grace, would we? You know, it's funny, every once in a while somebody will come to me and, and uh, they're ashamed. You know, they maybe have done something they shouldn't do and shouldn't have done and 
And uh, I, I think in some, in some ways they're kind of expecting, a, well, you know, go out and run 50 laps and do this and read your Bible, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. But you know, we've all, we've all been where they're at. Maybe not to the same degree, but there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. We have a perfect God. But because he loves us, because he has given the grace to us, why can't we extend that grace to each other? You know, I'd much rather have somebody come and be honest than pretend everything's okay. Same with all of us. It's much better to be honest and get somebody who'll support you, to be there for you, than it is to pretend like it's all okay when when it's not okay. It's okay to not be okay. Because that's what Jesus died for. Shall we not be okay so that okay is okay and sin reigns and, you know? (laughs) No. No, we don't just say... I'm this way and everybody's got to live with it. No, that's, that's not the right attitude. God, I can't change if you don't give me the ability to change. Okay. Look at verses 15 to 16. I'm going to close. I'm going to move a little faster. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? There again, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether it's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Here's what it is. If you, if you and I submit ourselves to a sin, we are slaves to that sin. And everybody says, oh, I can quit when I want to. <laughs> yeah, you can. I've quit drinking soda pop five or six, seven times. And I like my Mountain Dew or Pepsi. And when I quit, sometimes I've quit for a year or a year and a half. And one day you're just walking by. (laughs) And all of a sudden there's this frosty freezer, refrigerator there. And there's a Mountain Dew going, buy me, buy me, buy me, buy me. And there you are. There you are. A slave to that. And there are other ones out there that are even more destructive. That takes everything away. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. They're either going to hate one and love the other or be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and this material world. You can't serve God and mammon. That mammon means our, our, our world, earthly things. We can't do both. It just doesn't work. If we find ourselves serving the world, being too worried about what the world thinks and being too worried about all that, again, it's probably because we've stepped away a little bit. God never steps away. But as Harold taught in memorial service for Bill, back to that first love. I said, God, bring me back. Bring me back to that first love to where I don't want to do those things. So which one are we going to obey? (laughs) Verse 17, but God, bethink that though we were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, if you're going to be a slave of anything, be a slave to Jesus. Now, you might, you might be tripped up on that word, right? Slave to Jesus, I don't be a slave to nobody. Well, it's okay if you're loved. Aren't we all slaves? If you're married, aren't you a slave a little bit? <laughs> I mean, serious, aren't you? But, but if you really love the other person, you make it work and you stay and you love them anyway. Because you do the things out of love. You're slaves to your kids, whether you believe it or not. We're slaves to the system. He's basically saying, if you are a righteous person, if you give your heart to Jesus Christ and try to do what's right, you may be a slave to that, but that's the highest form. That's the best form, is to be serving Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to read one more and we're going to close. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 says, Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, if you're standing in the Lord right now, treasure that and guard it. Don't think that you've got it figured out. Just enjoy that. Don't Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then he says, there is no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, to mankind. So when a a brother or sister comes up and says, I've done this and I've fallen, our reaction should be, I'm sorry, I love you, let's pray. Because that same temptation has been around everybody. But God, I love that, but God. (laughs) But God, who is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will also make a way of escape. Now, not escape the way you think, but he will show you a way through it without sinning. He'll get you through it. That you may be able to bear it. I'm going to close with Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit that you're now trying to be made perfect in the flesh? Guys, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, relax. You are loved by the Lord. Now we already know that that's not license. It's love. How many times do we as parents not give a punishment to our kids when they messed up because we love them? God loves us. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Relax. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy the Holy Spirit. Not a license, please. I can't say that enough. But this is about God's mercy. And this is about, about God's grace. So let's, let's not start in the Spirit and then start jumping through the, all the hoops again. Because that's just trying to be perfect, perfected by the flesh. And then in Romans, it says, Romans six nineteen. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for holiness for where you were slaves to sin you were free regarding righteousness what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed how many of us look back on those things and we're happy we did them Not many. Most of us look back on them and we're ashamed. We don't want to tell anybody about it. So he's saying, what fruit was in all of that? Usually none. Not fruit, mostly destruction. For For the end of those things is death. And then in 22 he says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness. And in the end, you have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Through Jesus Christ. There was no fruit in the way we lived. You can be bitter, you can be angry, you can be unforgiving, you can be mean and nasty and naughty, you can do all those things if that's the way you want to live the rest of your life. You can, but why? Why? Why live that that way, blaming everybody in life for your issues instead of just saying, I'm a mess. (laughs) And God, I don't stand a chance without you, so. Change me. Change me. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, change me into the man or the woman that you want me to be. You better hold on to your boots when you say that prayer because God will take you up on it. So, 
May God's grace give us the power to never choose sin, but choose righteousness. Now, I want to give you one last little illustration. You guys have all read about the tightrope walkers, right? The ones that get up there with a pole and walk on that tightrope, and they're 30, 40 feet in the air. In most cases, there's a net down below them. The object is not to live on the net. The object is to never fall. But if they fall, they have a safety net. We're not perfect. We will make mistakes, but our safety net is Jesus. That's the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and your mercy towards us because without your grace, there would be no, there would be no life. There would be no forgiveness. There would be very little of anything. Father, help us not to let the world take the best part of us. Help help us to not let the world take away our fellowship with one another. Help the gas prices not to keep us from fellowshipping with each other. That's so important to us. Even today, hearing the, the kids wish Happy Father's Day, talking about how important it is Lord, we're important to each other. If we hadn't been here today, we wouldn't have heard that. We wouldn't have heard this message. So, Lord, help us not to live under legalities, not to live under the law, but to live under grace and to want to be with you, to want to be with your folks, to have a vision for the lost people. Lord, our world really needs you right now. They need us. May we stand strong.